Maine Calling on Demand is made possible in part by Maine Farmland Trust, working with farmers to grow the future of farming and food in Maine. Learn how you can get involved at mainefarmlandtrust.org learn. And by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. Today on Maine Calling, options in hospice care. Hospice care is not just one thing. Many people associate it with nursing care a person receives during their final days, and it can be that. But hospice care can also start much earlier. It can be directed by medical personnel or by volunteers who offer a different kind of support. A key component of any kind of hospice care is a focus on quality of life for the remainder of a person's life. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Main Calling, we will discuss the variety of options for people who might benefit from hospice care. And we'll discuss how the movement towards palliative care intersects with hospice. What are your options when you face a serious illness and the end of life? What are the pros and cons of different approaches? Main Calling is just ahead. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. It can be a difficult but important step in the care of a loved one. What to do when the end of life is drawing near? My guest today will explain options for those considering hospice, and they'll also talk about what it's like to be a hospice volunteer worker. Joining me, Kristen Wartman, who is Executive Director of Pine Tree Hospice, Pam Richardson with Community Health and Counseling Services, and Esther Ireland, a volunteer with Pine Tree Hospice. We invite you to share your comments and questions. What is your experience? What questions do you have about when hospice might be needed or how to go about figuring out the right place or the right service for your loved one, you can send an email to talk at mainpublic.org, comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Again, 1-800-399-3566. Welcome to all of you. And I just want to start by saying, one thing I think many people don't realize is that there are different kinds of hospice care. And um, and Pam and Kristen, you all both um, represent sort of two of the major, if you would, branches or types of hospice care. So I'm going to just start by having you each explain what um, what you do and what kind of services you provide. Pam, I'm going to start with you because I think that what Community Health and Counseling Service does is what many people think of when they think of traditional hospice care. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, hospice, we um, Community Health and Counseling actually does what we call medical hospice. What that involves is that... Um, Majority of our patients are covered under Medicare, um, their Medicare benefit, Um, and Medicare has certain eligibility requirements, um, and it's really geared towards their prognosis of six months or less or specific um, diagnosis that Medicare has um, specified as... um, as acceptable and it's it's verified by certain tests and symptoms. 
Right. So if somebody has a terminal diagnosis and is expected to live six months or less, um, yes. some an organization like Community Health and Counseling Service, and I know there are many, um, will come and provide hospice care, which it's, its goal is to provide the best possible quality of life, also to um, comfort and ease the pain. Um, so that that's all correct. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We are no longer talking about trying to cure somebody. We are. It is all about the quality of um, life um, by taking care of their discomfort, whether it be physical, emotional, or spiritual discomfort. Okay, great. Now, Kristen Wortman, I know there is an overlap and that in, um, you know, you're also trying to make people as comfortable as possible and improve their quality of life. But there are also some real differences in the kind of um, hospice care that you're providing. So why don't you explain this other sort of branch of the hospice world and, and um, and the philosophy behind it? Sure, thank you. Um, And that's a perfect way of putting it. It is a branch. Um, I like to say that we volunteer hospices and medical hospices kind of grew up together. Um, Part of the benefit under Medicare for hospice is having a volunteer come in. So you'll see a lot of uh, medical hospices run their own volunteer program. And at times when they don't run run a volunteer program, they will contract with non-medical volunteer hospices like ourselves. And so we are able to work together um, to really just kind of get that holistic um, overall, um, making sure that the client and the family are taking care of and and providing that care. What we also get to do um, is kind of branch off a little bit and we're able to work with families that don't yet qualify for medical hospice. So that's one of the big things that Pine Tree Hospice has seen in the last few years is the majority of our um, caseload now is working with individuals that don't yet qualify. The great thing about that is that we can um, do some education and talk about advanced care planning and when they are potentially ready and they do qualify, then we're there to help um, make that make that transition and work with a medical hospice. So Kristen, let me get this clear. Let's say somebody's received a very severe diagnosis, a, a scary diagnosis, but they don't have that line in the sand that Pam was talking about. The doctor has not said you have six months or fewer to live. It just what you're facing is, is um, serious. Uh, your quality of life will be affected you will likely eventually die from this disease or this condition. And at that point, somebody from volunteer hospice can come just help people be comfortable, think about getting their life in order, think about the services they might need. Uh, am I am I summing, summing that up correctly, Kristen? Sure, we absolutely work with individuals that are facing um, that type of situation. But what we're seeing um, more often than not is really isolated individuals. So people that have life-limiting conditions, and that's that's part of our mission is to serve um, individuals with life-limiting conditions. It's a really vague, broad umbrella, but that could be a 90-year-old woman that doesn't drive anymore and her family is all out of state. How is she getting groceries? So when services are sometimes up to an hour away in the area that we serve. We have volunteers that go in and can provide 
um, can provide just companionship, but then they also can provide transportation and food delivery, all of the things that these isolated um, individuals, often due to health conditions, um, just pain or rheumatoid arthritis or COPD um, that don't quite hit that level um, of needing medical hospice. Yeah. All right. Well, Esther, I want to bring you into the conversation because you're a volunteer at Pine Tree yeah. and you are one of the people who goes in and provides support um, for people. And I wanted to ask you, you know, without, of course, um, violating any kind of privacy, any kind of expectation, tell me about some of the people you serve and, and what you do for them. So I've had about nine clients since I've been working for Pine Tree Hospice uh, a little over two years. And um, I do, I've done lighthouse work uh, for several of them. I do respite care, which gives the caregiver a chance to go out and to a doctor's appointment or just to get away and relieve them while I sit with their um, significant others that they're taking care of themselves. Um, I take them for rides um, just to get them out and about and, um, change of scenery. I've taken them to doctor's appointments. So those are uh, some of the things. I also helped uh, one lady write her own uh, life story um, to, to leave and share with her family. Esther, why do you do it? Because I'm a people person and I like being around people and I've always been in the social service field. So I guess this is sort of another way for me to take my experience from work and, and help other people that are in need. And I know that there's a lot of seniors out there that are isolated and this just gives them somebody to visit with. Maybe it's only once a week, but it's still a connection with the outside world. All right. I'm going to ask Pam, you and Kristen the same question because um, I know you'll have different answers, but it's an important question to you. What do you think, Pam, are some of the biggest misperceptions about hospice care? Um, I think the perception is, is that we are just trying to get people to die. Um, they, they think that um, that's the only thing that we're doing in hospice um, and that we're going to move in with them and take care of their loved one until they do pass. Um, and un that's a very unfortunate um, thought process, and we all, we, you know, clear that up right the first visit. You know, we um, are not just waiting for them to die. We are trying to give them the quality of life. We are trying to make them comfortable. We do wrap around the families and, um, you know, support the families as much as possible. We don't move in with them um, as much as it would be great if we did, but, um, you know, we teach the caregivers how to take care of their loved ones. Kristen, what about you? What do you think are some of, what do you hear that you just say, no, 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 that's not right? Oh, um, I, absolutely. Um, we get the same perception that Pam does. Um, it keeps people away. It keeps people away from getting support. Um, it's an emotional, it's emotional. And unfortunately, we as a society, we completely steer the upper opposite direction of talking about death and dying and uh, it's just unfortunate because when when services like volunteer hospices or medical hospices can step in really what's happening it what it, whatever the course is going to be is going to be um and with extra 
extra support on board, it just makes it, it makes it so much easier at times, um, supportive. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just one of those words that people have stuck in their, stuck in their mind, um, that it's a bad thing. Um, it's something you want to wa run away from. And, and we deal with that all the time. I have an email here from Carl. Carl writes, I can't say enough good things about the service hospice houses provide. My father passed away in the Auburn one after a long bout of congestive heart failure, spending five days in the hospice house before he died. Things were so much worse years before the hospice houses. My mother came down with breast cancer and died in 1966 at age 43 with four kids under the age of 12. My father was a commercial hog farmer in central Maine. That was our sole income. We didn't have health insurance. After two failed surgeries to remove the cancer, my father was destitute, relying on the town, providing canned goods with missing labels and town citizens donating food to us. When cancer ate through my mother's spine, breaking her back, lying in bed at home, my father had to take her to a nursing home. Years later, my father told me the nursing home demanded cash payment by Saturday night for the coming week. Otherwise, they would roll her out onto the sidewalk for him to take her home. My father borrowed money from his out-of-state brother and father to make the weekly payment until she died. Hospice houses are great. And Carl, it's such a sad story. Uh, one of the things I want to follow up on from your story, though, is you were talking about hospice houses. And, and Pam, there are places that people can go. Some hospice organizations have um, a house or a, a facility, but many hospice workers today don't. They go into somebody's home, correct? And, and can you talk about sort of how, how usual each is today? Yeah, um, the hospice houses, they are great, um, no doubt about it. The only thing is, is in the state of Maine, there are only, I believe there's two or maybe three um, hospice houses in the whole state of Maine. The other requirement is the um, person has to be within 24 to 48 hours of passing. Um, and that's obviously because they're so um, few and far between. Um, the other thing is, is m the majority of um, people and their families really would like to die at home, where they're comfortable with their family all around them and everything. So um, that seems to be more of the natural thing. If you think about way back years ago, that's what people did. We seem to be coming around to that again. Um, and if we can get in there and teach people and, you know, we do say that the, um, sooner, the better that medical hospice can get in with people. Um, we can actually get them set up so that as they get sicker, then we can have everything in place so that it is a comfortable transition. Mm, so what you're saying is don't wait till the last minute. Come, when we, if we can come in, um, then there's not this chaos at the end. Absolutely. Too many times we have, um, you know, referrals and the patient passes within, you know, a couple days to a week. It doesn't give us a lot of time to help families and the patient um, get to that point of, of um, an easier transition. Well, we are talking about hospice care. We're talking about both medical hospice care 
and volunteer hospice care on Maine Calling. Our phone number 1-800-399-3566. You can send an email to talk at mainepublic.org or comment on social media. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. What to know about different types of hospice care in Maine. With me today, Pam Richardson with Community Health and Counseling Services, Kristen Wortman, who's Executive Director of Pine Tree Hospice, and Esther Ireland, a volunteer with Pine Tree Hospice. Share your comments and questions. Send an email, a brief email, please, to talk at mainepublic.org. Comment on Facebook or Instagram or give us a call. 1-800-399-3566. On the line with us now is Vanessa Little, who is the Palliative Care Service Line Medical Director with Northern Light Health. Vanessa, thanks so much for giving us a call. Thank you for including me. I know that there is um, overlap between what you do in um, palliative care and what people who work in hospice do, but tell us what the difference is. When we talk about palliative care, what are we talking about? So palliative care is a medical specialty. It's a team of people that understand that living with serious illness impacts every area of your life and it impacts your friends and family too. People that work in palliative care are committed to supporting people to live as well as possible with their illness. Palliative care can be an entry point into the continuum of care that involves home care, hospice care, care management, and other things. So our goal is to work with people living with serious illness as early as possible in their diagnosis so they can benefit from the support. And palliative care is an essential component of an age-friendly health system, which is a value that Northern Light Health has. So let me ask you this, Vanessa. Um, I think Pam and Kristen have both said earlier is better. You're saying earlier is better. How does someone know, Vanessa, when to talk about palliative care? What is, what is a way, how would you frame this for a family who is thinking about their loved one? I would say anyone that is living with a serious illness should talk to their primary care provider and ask about if they think they'd be eligible and about a referral. Um, you don't have to, palliative care is an added layer of support. You don't have to give anything up. So there's no harm in including palliative care in the conversation early on. The teams help people feel empowered to make choices and um, by giving people breathing space and time to let things sink in. So the earlier you can make space for that, I think the better people will live with serious illness. All right. Um Vanessa, any other advice about helping families be prepared for end-of-life decisions? So I think that, um, first off, I wanted to say one more thing about uh, Esther. And then she was listening all the things that she's done as a volunteer. And what she didn't say, I think, is one of the most important things she does, which is bring a compassionate presence to somebody who's living with serious illness and giving them space to either talk about it or not talk about it. As a culture, we do tend to turn away from um, ideas about illness and death, and, and the volunteer makes space for that, and that's also what palliative care teams can do. But for individuals living with serious illness, and really for all of us, it's knowing that we are the ones that are in charge of our health care, so making sure we have a power of attorney um, documented and making sure that that decision-maker knows what our values are and so that they can make the decisions for us on our behalf if we ever can't make them for ourselves. So to um, make sure that people that love you all know what your values might be 
And then also think about being a volunteer because we always need more. Hospice volunteers are a very special thing in our state. And um, I think that it's, it's a, a great thing. And thank you, Esther, for your service. Thank you. Vanessa Little, thank you so much for calling in. She's a palliative care service line medical director for Northern Light Health. And uh, well, I was going to ask you, Kristen, do you all need more volunteers? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, had just, I, I wanted to call Vanessa and say thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, yes, we we absolutely need volunteers. Our service area at Pine Tree Hospice covers all of Piscataquis County and parts of Somerset and, and Penobscot County. So our service area is huge. Um, Pam will Pam will say the same thing. Um, in their at CHCS in their Lincoln office, they're looking for volunteers now too. We can't do this work without our our volunteers. And the other unique thing about us, so um, we're we're state licensed, and volunteers for for hospice need to go through twenty hours of training. They also need to do eight hours of continuing education every single year. So what volunteers provide is so extremely amazing. Um, and and they are out there. There are people like Esther out there that they had no idea that this was even an option. Um, it it's asking it's asking a good chunk of their time. Um, but I think in the end, um, every every different. Um, individual that they get to work with and family they get to work with is kind of their payment. Um, going in and, and seeing someone that has been very isolated and um, depressed uh, after a few visits and building rapport, that person is getting up and getting ready and getting dressed before their volunteer comes to visit. It, that's the payment. Um, but yeah, we, we absolutely need volunteers. And Pine Tree Hospice, um, we're going to be running a, a training in May uh, in Dover Foxcroft. So yeah. And an email here from Rebecca. Rebecca writes, I'm the executive director of Coastal Family Hospice Volunteers, a nonprofit organization located in Rockland. We partner with Maine Healthcare at Home to provide hospice volunteers to their hospice patients in Knox and Lincoln County and to the Sussman Hospice House in Rockport. Founded in 1979, we exist because we believe that the dying deserve companionship. Their caregivers deserve respite and no one should mm. die or grieve alone. Our volunteers visit patients in their homes and long-term care facilities, offering a caring and compassionate presence to patients and their caregivers. We also provide bereavement mailings and phone calls, as well as peer-led support groups to those who have lost a loved one. And uh, she says listeners can contact us at Coastal Family Hospice Volunteers at gmail.com. So um, another region of Maine with another wonderful organization. We'll go to Joanne calling from Naples. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you, guests, uh, for this wonderful program. Uh, as a nurse, I'm seeing many misperceptions about available palliative care and hospice care. Uh, I just like an overview uh, currently. When a patient is admitted to a Cumberland County hospital with a serious diagnosis um, and they're admitted through the admissions process, are they with a health directive in hand that states their wishes? Uh, they given names, contact uh, people for palliative care and or hospice, or is that left up to the admissions office that deals with a certain agency that the hospital is affiliated with? Uh, and if the directive calls out a specific palliative care 
directive, like a Catholic chaplain be contacted? Is that honored? How does the process work, and how can we promote it? Our town has a number of isolated people that you described perfectly, myself included. Thank oh, you. Joanne. Yeah, thank you so much for the call. Um, I know that none of you is based in Cumberland County. Maybe, Pam, you can just talk about, um, yes. generally speaking, what the process is. Generally speaking, the process is once we um, once the hospital realizes that the patient has their directive and maybe they don't want to seek any um, curative treatments or anything like that, then the they will talk to the patient and family. They will offer, it is um, the law that they are offered a list of different agencies that um, provide hospice and palliative care, and the, it's up to the patient and family to choose which um, agency they would like to go with. And yes, all right. um, all, you know, the, the directives, have to, they have to be followed. There you go. Joanne, thank you for your call. An email here from Abby. The Aroostook House of Comfort is one of only four freestanding hospice homes in Maine. We're located in Presque Isle, northern Aroostook County. We would love for you to learn more about what we do in serving rural Mainers with, with much-needed end-of-life care in collaboration with Northern Light Home Care and Hospice. And so um, it's AroostookHouseOfComfort.org, AroostookHouseOfComfort.org. And Abby writes, we have served close to 900 in individuals since opening in 2018. 900 people in five years. That's remarkable. Um, thanks so much for that. We're going to go to Shoshana speaking, for, calling from Bodenham. Hi, Shoshana. Go ahead. Hello, Jennifer. What a pleasure. I've called often, and I talk a lot, and I was told by the person that talks to me first, begging me to be brief. I am going to be for my area for many years, oh, eight to nine. I was a volunteer for Mid Coast, Maine, which is located in Brunswick. And basically, same idea. I'll go quick. Um, back then, and the best thing I've ever done, uh, so amazing what the dying give back to us. Um, you pay the train, it's $150, and then you do the training. And then when I went on to facilitate the training, what I really wanted to do, and then you pay for that training, same thing, continuing education the whole time. The first thing I did was I worked uh, volunteer, all volunteer, I'm all about volunteering, um, at Freeport Nursing Home from everyone, from people who were dying where they were lively, where we talk and do things to um, people who are basically on what we call death watch, and they'd be very quiet, and they would be very close, and I would sit there and just hold their hand, and no one would say anything at all. Then I trained for facilitator, which is what was my big love, and I was a facilitator for two groups, Living Lost, Living Hope, which, is bands, which spans both. It's a group where the person is actively dying. It's for their families, but they haven't died Yet, we go all the way through, and often they invite us to the funerals. And then my big group was basically Living Loss, um, not Living Loss, Living Hope. It was Shoshana, called- can I ask you this? What do, what do you think, and I'll ask you the same thing, Esther, what do you think is the most important quality in a volunteer? If someone at home right now is thinking about uh, volunteering, uh, what would you say? Oh, I already know the answer to that. The ability to feel comfortable to hold the silence 
when you're facilitating, and there's always two of us, and I had teenagers, you have to be comfortable enough where sometimes people are not going to talk for 10 or 15 minutes. And it's not uncomfortable at all. You're holding the silence and the grace and the beauty. You have to know and never get advice. We're okay. Not well, thank you so much for calling and sharing your experience, Shoshana. And Esther, I'll ask you, what would, what would you say? What, what, what do you need to do to be a good volunteer? Well, I think um, a good volunteer is somebody who's willing to just sit and listen to the person. Um, not all of our people are dying within the next six months that I work with. So some of them just want somebody to talk to because they're so isolated and so alone. They don't see anybody for days on time. Um, so I think just being able to sit and listen to, listen to them or if you like to drive, people like to get out and get a change of scenery and go for a ride. And so I just think being able to do those and it's I think for pine tree hospice especially where people are not always dying if you're afraid that somebody's going to die while you're sitting with them that's not always the case and it's a good way to get your feet wet to see if you really like doing this or not great we're going to go to Torbert calling from York hi Torbert go ahead Good morning, Jennifer and guest. I'd, I'd like to uh, give a historical shout-out to the great uh, Cecily Saunders in England who basically created the hospice movement out of whole cloth and then was brought to America, to Connecticut, where it took root here. Um, she and, and all the, the clinical workers are the most wonderful human beings uh, willing to go where the society won't even talk. Um, so God bless them all. My wife worked in hospice from 2006 to 2022. She started in a small entrepreneur created uh, hospice here in Southern Maine. After six years, that was sold to a national chain of hospices. And then another 10 years, it was sold to one of the biggest healthcare uh, units in in the country, United Health, for $3.3 billion. So the for-profit motive is lurking out there. The, the small hospices in Maine are probably not uh, at risk right now, but soon. And it's all part of the argument why we need a uh, one-payer system. Torbert, thanks for your call. Uh, Pam, your response to how the system and the um, hospice is changing. Um, it is changing. He's absolutely right. Um, CHCS is a um, small nonprofit. We're not really all that small, but we are a nonprofit agency. And um, the for-profit agencies come in, and um, it does make it harder for us um, because we don't have all the funds to, you know, just have somebody in there all the time. So it does actually really affect us a lot. Torbert, thanks for your call. Um, let's see, we're going to move on to Kathy, who's calling from Hospice of Southern Maine. Hi, Kathy, go ahead. Hi, how are you? Great. First of all, I just want to say how much I admire the work of, of every hospice, uh, not only in the state, but across the country. And thanks to this panel for really uh, taking a step forward and, and making this 
everyday conversation. Um, Hospice of Southern Maine is one of the largest um, hospice houses in in Southern Maine. We see people in the home as well as uh, at our 18-bed facility in Scarborough. But one of the things that that I see from our volunteers is that they're just willing to bring their talents. And oftentimes people don't think their talents fit with hospice, um, but they really do. And so we have lots of pet therapy animals, dogs, cats. Um, We have Reiki. We have um, musicians that come in, all different types of musicians. We had a cellist, a harpist. Um, We had a a gentleman who... um, played ukulele, uh, which is wonderful. And um, so all of these individuals together, just bringing their natural gifts and being who they are, it's just such a blessing to these families and, and, and to our organization. And we really appreciate them. So, Kathy, we've heard from Kristen that uh, they could use a bunch of volunteers in her part of Maine. What about you? Um, are you always in need of volunteers yeah. at Hospice of Southern Maine? We are. Um, you know, we do have a, a, a large group of individuals, but we see, um, you know, anywhere from 200 to 250 um, patients on our census each day. And when you're talking about matching 5% volunteer time to all the medical care, you know, those, those numbers need to be pretty high in, in the volunteers. So if anybody wants to volunteer for Hospice of Southern Maine, they can uh, give us a call or um, just email us at volunteer at hospiceofsouthernmaine.org. All right. Well, Kathy, thanks so much for calling in. We are going to take another quick break. If you'd like to join the conversation, our phone number, 1-800-399-3566. If you're super quick, you can send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org or find us on social media. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You're listening to Maine Calling. Our topic today, options in hospice care. With me, Pam Richardson with Community Health and Counseling Services, and Esther Ireland and Kristen Wertman, both with Pine Tree Hospice. You can join our conversation at one 800 399 Six six Pam, at the beginning of the program, we talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to expand upon it a little bit. It's not that a patient, a family, um, a loved one has has to choose between what kind of hospice, correct? It, they can be um, enrolled in a volunteer hospice organization and also receive medical hospice care, yes? Yes, that's absolutely right. And, you know, it's kind of funny because today we're talking about medical hospice and volunteer hospice like it is two different entities, which it is. But when when you're working in that environment, it really becomes one team. And um, I don't know what we'd do without our volunteers. Um, in fact, um, so with medical hospice, we have nurses, we have um, home health aides, we have social work, and we have spiritual advisor. And then on top of that, we get the volunteers. And um, that has been just so helpful to patients. Um, to, to the point where CHCS um, has actually had to start our own ho- um, volunteer hospice up in the Penobscot region because um, our other volunteer service pulled out. So um, we are sending out letters and all of that stuff. So if people are interested up in the Lincoln and Bangor areas, um, 
you know, by all means, let us know. And we work closely with Kristen and have for years um, with patients. And it's so important um, that families get that, um, feel that we are just one team so they don't have to pick and choose, like you said. I've got an email here from Barbara. I have been a hospice volunteer 25 years, mostly at Hospice Volunteers of Hancock County. People should know that research has shown hospice patients more often live longer due to the improved care received. Some patients even graduate from hospice. Tragically, too many, too many people wait until the last week. I encourage people to at least check into their options with hospice and palliative care. And, and Kristen, I see you nodding. Oh, it's so true. I've read all. I've read so many studies um, that that say the exact same thing. When you are introducing more support, um, we know, we all know how bad stress is, right? Stress is so bad to our bodies, and um, and that's just one of the negative impacts that feeling really isolated and not knowing um, not knowing how to get help and not having extra help um, is is a fact. You know, there's extra stress and there's extra all kinds of other things. Pain is worse. All of these things um, contribute to someone that their their course um, is going to is going to be sometimes and sometimes faster. Um, but you introduce extra support. Uh, the caregivers are can be more rested. There's there's so many things that go into why that's true. Yeah. We'll go to Edie calling from Blue Hill. Hi, Edie. Go ahead. Uh, hi, I just wanted to also say the Hospice of Hancock County is wonderful, and they also offer grief support. You know, um, when I was a widow, they, it was a lifeline for me, um, some phone uh, conversation once a week for an hour. It was just so wonderful. And I also stayed with my older sister when she was dying from lung cancer in a medical hospice. I stayed in the room with her for the last 10 days of her life, and the nurses were so experienced about the dying process, and it was just so wonderful uh, in every way in, in terms of that, you know, experience, um, making it, making it as, as um, I just, I just treasure that I had that experience with my sister. So thank you so much for this program. Well, Edie, thank you. And thank you for calling in to share that. Um, we'll move up to Lou Beck and Jan. Hi, Lou Beck. Go ahead. I mean, hi, Jan. Go hi, ahead. Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I've heard a lot about Southern Maine. I've heard nothing about Washington County. And I would like to know what, as a uh, someone who needs hospice for a family member in Washington County, what I can do. Now, I've heard there are volunteers that come and kind of give you some respite. But sure. Yeah. Problem. So our our guests are not what from Southern them? Maine. Um, our guests, but our guests are also not from Washington County. Um, but I will ask. Um, Chris, well, Kristen, what do you know? I mean, you're um, you're not in Washington County. Uh, you're in um, uh, Northern and Central Maine. But but what can you tell us about um, what you know about Washington County? Sure. So Washington County is a huge county, right? Like all of all of the counties in Maine, um, and and very rural. There, there is a volunteer hospice. It's volunteer hospices of Washington County um, that serves that huge area. Um, and of course that, that gets limited because of how many volunteers that they have on board. 
but Pam actually can probably jump in. I believe there is a medical hospice. Yeah, community health and counseling actually does medical hospice in Washington County. Yes. Well, there you go, Jen. And You've I, got, yeah, two suggestions. Go ahead, Pam. And I, this is Esther. I, I just like to say that in Piscataquis County, um, when I first started, CHCS had a lot of uh, referrals that we worked side by side with. But since some of the bigger national or bigger agencies have come in, um, that uh, support has dwindled and they're not. I don't know if they're not willing or they don't know about us, but we do not get referrals from them to go in. And it's great to be able to work side by side with a medical hospice because that gives the people uh, more time. So like if somebody comes into a home health aid and they're bathing the person or something, but they only do that once a week and a pine tree hospice volunteer comes in, and can help out another day of the week that just helps the family out so much more and it's sad that we are not working with all or all medical hospice at working with volunteer hospice to help um, share the burden i guess of and the support of this and i work also with people that have dementia too um, so that's just another uh, area that um, I can help out. Jan, thanks for your call and good luck to you. Um, we're going to go to Sue, who's calling from Stu Ben. Hi, Sue. Go ahead. Hi. Um, so my dad uh, is from Damariscotta, but spends a lot of time being cared for at my house in Stu Ben. And our issue has been he's now on hospice care, um, but has been that we can't figure out how to get care provided through one agency at both locations um, because not all of us can take care of him. Like I take care of him in my house, but I can't take care of him at his house. And, and I didn't know if there's any way or any effort to make it so you can transfer care a little bit easier than it is right now. Cause it, this is, was an un, unexpected complication mm. that we've encountered. Pam Richardson, do you have any, any yeah. thoughts? I can I can address that. Um, we do work. The different medical hospices work together, and we do what we call a hospice watch. So when your dad comes to visit you, then our hospice kind of picks up and does visits when needed. Even though he's got the hospice at his home um, town, you know they will take the the call. We will do the visit. So we're kind of we work together. And then when he goes back, they pick him back up. So, so we do work together and um, create a contract so that we can help you out on that. What, um, what was I going to say? What would you advise, Pam? What would you advise to Sue? It sounds like Sue hasn't been able to um, access that. So what is the question she needs to ask? Who does she need to turn to to make sure that this can happen for her immediately? She should be asking her, her dad's um current medical hospice agency can i um is there a hospice that can help out while he's at my house all right good luck to you sue um we have an email here from shanna who writes my mom passed at maine med last march our hospice nurse offered my sister and i a hospice therapist 
We weren't sure, but we finally took her up on her offer. It was amazing. My sister and I spoke with a therapist for over an hour. When our mom passed a few hours later, it was so very helpful. Pam, what can you tell us about this, the hospice therapist? It's the first I've heard about that. Yeah, we don't do hospice therapists in, with CHCS. However, we have just started a um, bereavement um, group, support group in both uh, Millinocket and Lincoln. And down in the Machias area, there's bereavement um, support groups. And I believe that, Kristen, your um, Pine Tree Hospice also helps with bereavement groups and everything. Correct. Absolutely. And one of one of the biggest pieces um, that we don't talk about when we talk about grief is is anticipatory grief. So families are grieving even before their loved one dies. And we train our volunteers in bereavement support um, so that they can support prior to death. And then we have bereavement um, support groups. We just recently uh, started a monthly grief support call. So trained volunteers are going to be giving uh, anyone that's interested, a call once a month to provide to provide some extra extra ears and extra support when it comes to grieving. We'll go to Hunt. Who's calling? Oh, go ahead, Pam. I'd also like to say that um, with the medical hospice, along with Kristen, that um, we do follow our families for up to a year after their loved one passes. Hunt in Blue Hill, go ahead. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to let people know that through the hospice volunteers of Hancock County, we also provide music for patients, um, both palliative and hospice patients. We can um, contact the patient or the family to find out what their musical preferences are and then bring a group of singers to the home and sing their favorite music for them. That's lovely. Um, and, and the name of the organization is? Um, Even Song, and there are two Even Songs, Even Song um, East, which is out of Bar Harbor, and Even Song West, which is out of Blue Hill. Oh, thank you so much for calling and telling us that, Hunt. Um, we are going to go to Donna, who's calling for, from Affinity Care of Maine. Hi, Donna. Go ahead. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm the volunteer coordinator for Affinity Care, and um, I remember being at a talk once where the uh, person said how important the end-of-life conversation is and that it's a conversation that's always too early to have until it's too late. And that just always stuck with me because one of the biggest gifts of hospice is the trust relationship that is created between the team and the patient and the family. And that takes time to develop, but that's where a lot of healing happens. And in that regard, I think President Carter is such a great example for us because he went on, you know, early on, and there just is so much business that needs to be done, not just, you know, um, pain management, symptom management, but the business of healing relationships, of readying yourself to pass over that journey. Um, so I just would encourage families and patients to have that conversation early because it can quickly become too late. 
Thank you, Donna, for that. And it is interesting, isn't it, Kristen? Because um, Donna mentioned Jimmy Carter, President Carter, and he has now been in hospice care for a year. Yes, it is a great example. Um, and the more examples um, of people that we recognize and and have, you know, have huge histories in our, you know, in our uh, country, uh, to see them taking on hospice and, and working with hospice is, is a, such a good thing. Um, great model. Donna, thanks so much for your call. Esther, I want to turn to you. We just have a couple minutes left, and I'm wondering if you have a story or two that you'd like to share, um, something that maybe has happened in your time volunteering in hospice that you didn't expect or or you think really illustrates um, what, what this all means. So first I'd like to say on volunteering, that with Pine Tree Hospice, my, I can flex my schedule and um, work the days that work for me. So it's, it's a very, it's not a set. You have to go Monday through Friday. You can set it. And then if you need to tweak it, some weeks you can do that. People are very, they're so happy to have you that they're willing to do that. Um, I guess I had a, um, a lady who was, um, whose family worked they were in the area but she I started out just sitting with her you know like a couple hours uh, once a week and then um, towards the end of her life I I got to spend some more time with her which gave her caregiver uh, a needed break so that she could get away from having to uh, watch her mom die 24 7 and so it's just a, a great thing to, to do with that. Another one I can think of is I had this guy that lived by himself and family was around, but he didn't always have visitors because family was busy and I would go and clean his house, but I could visit with him at the same time and, and talk to him. So that gave him a chance to have somebody that spent an hour or two, an, two hours with him. Uh, during uh, the day and if he needed some extra help I could do that uh, for him I ended up also having helping him by and the family by doing grocery shopping mm -hmm. for him and um, just helping out in those ways I also had a lady Oh, Esther, I'm going to have to cut you off. I love those stories, but we're out of time. <laughs> and I want to thank you all for being here. Esther Ireland, a volunteer with Pine Tree Hospice. Kristen Wertman, Executive Director of Pine Tree Hospice. And Pam Richardson with Community Health and Counseling Services. Today's sound engineer was George Thomas. Main Calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. Please go to maincalling.org and subscribe to our newsletter. It's free and tells you what's coming up in the next week. Tomorrow on the program, Dating Later in Life. Yes, it's Valentine's Day. We're going to talk about dating later in life. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You've been listening to Maine Calling on Maine Public Radio.